Welcome to the Lighthouse Conversations, a show featuring entrepreneurs and tastemakers from the world of art, culture, tech, and of course, food. I'm your host, Hasha Montasir. I'm joined today by Hani Malki, or Bedouin Foodie, as he's better known on Instagram. Hani grew up in Jeddah, but has since lived in numerous cities around the world, London, Boston, New York, Paris, Bali, Singapore, to name a few, and he's now based here in Dubai. What I love about following his account is that he's adept at mixing high and low, while staying true to himself and sprinkling historical context for good measure. And, as you'll hear on this episode, he's been developing his palette since he was eight years old. Henny, welcome. Happy New Year. Nice to have you with us here. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Happy New Year to you. I think this is our third year of doing this, so it's very appropriate to start it off with food, to start it with someone who is, has many interests. Um, I want to start off talking about Zorbian. We just had this conversation five minutes ago. Yeah. I was asking my wife today, and I told her I'm meeting someone from Jeddah, who I'm going to be interviewing on the show, and I need to ask him hard questions about food. And she mentioned Zorbian as one of many uh, dishes in Saudi that obviously come from somewhere else. Jeddah as a port destination, being close to Mecca, all of these things, is a city, I think, in many ways, that's a melting pot. People come from all walks of life, look differently, eat differently. Talk to me a little bit about this. You grew up there, and I want to know how that has influenced you and your palate. Okay, uh, this is actually a subject that I'm very, very passionate about. Okay. Um, like you mentioned, Jeddah is uh, the port city of Saudi Arabia. It's the city that welcomed the pilgrims to Mecca for the last 1,400 years. It's also along the spice routes, the silk routes, all the routes, war routes, and historically, uh, lots of uh, people have come there and, uh, and have stayed there. I mean, uh, Mecca was, was and is a religious destination even from before Islam, from pagan times. So a lot of people have, have stayed there, and, it, and it's a trading, uh, trading place. So you'll see a lot of families from Mecca and from Hejaz are mixed, like, like my family, for example. How are you mixed? We're, 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 we have Syrian blood, okay. Palestinian blood. Okay. I actually did a DNA test, and okay. I posted about I it. I saw that on the post, yeah. yeah. And uh, because, because I was so interested in this, and I found that I have even Turkish and a little bit of Egyptian. Oh, good. So, That's great. Yeah. Good news. Yeah. I like you a lot more now. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and uh, so the, the more I looked into this, the more I studied that and researched it, I found that, I, wouldn't say, I don't want to say all, but the majority of the families from Jeddah, Medina, all, the, all that coastline are mixed like that. Akeem. And that's reflected in our food. Cherkasseya, Zorbian. Absolutely. Uh, what All else comes stuff. to mind? Mandi. Well, the, 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 the most famous one for us is like, what's uh, the most famous dish in Jeddah for us? Is Ruz Bukhari. Yeah, it's called Ruz Bukhari. Yeah. It's an orange-colored rice. It's cooked with carrots and ah. with lamb. So what's the lineage? How can we trace Ruz Bukhari? Let's start so, with that. So Ruz Bukhari, I traced the lineage of it. Okay. And Bukhara, Bukhara is Uzbekistan. Akid. That area there. And their national dish over there, it's called plov. I think there's Bukhari families as well in oh, yes, Jeddah, absolutely, right? Absolutely. And even they look even more Asian. 100%. Yeah. We have families in uh, Jeddah that look, uh, that blonde, blue eyes, yeah. uh, that look uh, Asian, uh, Far Eastern, uh, Indonesian, Malaysian. We have a lot of that. 
So, uh, so that's, that's the origin of, of this Ruz Bukhari, for example. And uh, like you said, we have foods that come from India, from biryani or so, from Pakistan. So. We have Pakistani Saudi families. We have Indian Saudi families. We have uh, Syrian Saudi, Palestinian Saudi. So, so does this settle the issue of who owns hummus? Because obviously that's like <laughs> a very political thing which we won't yes. get into. But yani, what you're saying is it's a fusion. It comes and yani, Jeddah seems to have settled it. And so you're saying like, Everybody's welcome. Guys, this is all fusion anyway. People come from different places. So no one really owns hummus. Well, am I wrong? Well, you know, I, I actually did a lot of research. Okay. <laughs> Who owns hummus? Tell and, us. And the earliest recorded uh, hummus? Uh, hummus is from <laughs> Egypt. It's, it's in an Egyptian cookbook. That's the oldest written record of, of hummus. In reality, it's... it's Associated with the Levant, with Sir- Syria, we own hummus. <laughs> Syria, <laughs> Lebanon, uh, that area, <laughs> and uh, obviously, and and what I like to tell my Israeli followers is hummus is the Arabic word for chickpea. So if the dish is called an Arabic word, then this is an Arabic dish, but it's enjoyed by everybody. Yeah, as it should be. Yeah. As so, so, you know, at the lighthouse, we, we, we offer bread and hummus to anyone who walks in. And that's how much we think it's part of the culture. Yeah, 100%. Part of our DNA. 100%. So, no, no, I don't like to say that uh, people own No, we uh, own foods. it now. I mean, you said it. I mean, Egypt <laughs> own it. So, I feel now I own it. Yeah. So, now it all makes sense. So, <laughs> <laughs> my, mom, my mom's going to have to have a, a word. Yeah, is that you. right? Okay, I hope we, hopefully she's listening. Maybe <laughs> me and her have to have a private conversation. <laughs> So, so, okay, so you grew up in a city uh, with a lot of cultures, obviously melting pot in some ways. Yes. You yourself are a, melt, are a product of a melting pot in some ways. A hundred percent. Explain to us that interest in food. How did this come up? Was it just because your mother cooked really good dishes or what sparked this passion? Uh, before I go on, I, I want to say this on the record and I think it's important. I find your Instagram account, and yeah, I mean, what I call it, essentially it's a blog, Fantastic, really. And Thank we you. have, as you know, because I've been messaging you every time I've done this, uh, used it, gone to places, my family and I, that you've recommended. And really, it's very, very well done. We're going to talk about this in a minute, but I want to understand first, what sparked this uh, passion regarding food? Sure. So uh, growing up, my, fa- my father was born in Damascus. Okay. He moved to Saudi in 1950. So I was born there. And, but we, we, he was a gourmand. He loved food. His passions were food. Football, soccer, and uh, and watching uh, the news and things like that. You know, old school guy. Yeah. Listen to the news on the radio and everything. Yeah. But food was the most important thing. Okay. Did so, he cook? Uh, uh, he didn't cook. So really old school, yeah. yeah. He liked the food, but yeah. didn't cook it. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, he used to, the only thing I used, I've ever seen him make was fattat uh, hummus. That's not bad. No, it's not it's bad. more than me. Yeah. Okay. And he, make, he made his own coffee in the morning. Okay. So, what kind um, of coffee? We, uh, Turkish, Tur- coffee. Turkish coffee, yeah, the one that you boil and uh, ah, okay. over and over Kaka again. Yeah, the whole thing. Yeah, that was his thing. So I, I grew up like that. Uh, our business is with majority is with French companies. Growing up, where where my, my family business is in uh, fragrance, luxury business, luxury, luxury fragrance things. It's like. a distribution business. It's a, it's a dis- right? retail and distribution of luxury For goods. F- mostly French luxury brands. Mostly French and Italian. Okay, some American. Also. Okay. And uh, I, I, was, I was the youngest in the family. Of how many? Of three. Okay. My brother and sister were off in boarding school. 
Okay. And I was at home in Jeddah. Why did you not go to boarding school? Uh, I was younger and then I went. Oh, you did? Where? I where eventually you go? I went, to, I went to Lebanon for a couple of years. Okay. And then England. Okay. And then I went to university in the United States in Boston. Okay. Now that's good because thank God you escaped the British accent. <laughs> yeah. I was in an American school, American curriculum. Okay, good. But yeah. in England, we have to wear the tie and everything. No, no, I'm fine. So, yeah. So moving, but going back to the food. So the, the, my parents used to take me with them to Paris to have meetings. And one of the brands I remember is uh, our brands was Guerlain. Guerlain mm. is a yeah, very well-known fragrance business. So it, at the time, it was still owned by the Guerlain family. So whenever we'd go there, Monsieur Guerlain would invite us to Michelin-starred restaurants. And they would bring me. So I, I was <laughs> exposed to this from the age of like eight or mm. nine. I remember uh, distinctly eating at a restaurant in Paris called La Serre, which is an institution. At a, from a very young age. My, my parents were also very strict at the table with etiquette and knowing how to eat and how to use the knife and the fork. So my, my palate started developing at a very young age. Okay. I remember distinctly being very, very young and loving smoked salmon and caviar and fish and all of these things that kids... Refined, yeah. refined palate. Yes. And so that's how it started. When Instagram started, people were posting pictures of their food. And then this joke started going around in the world, people making fun of people who post pictures of their food. So I'm like, you know what? I'm not going to annoy my friends. I started another account and I created, and I called it the Bedouin foodie, which I am. Bedouin, I explained to you because of, yeah. I'm mixed. I'm from all over the place. I've lived all over the world. But also, yani, tongue in cheek, right? Bedouin foodie, yani, of how people think of Bedouin. I mean, when we say that, you, you don't necessarily think of kind of sophisticated palate, right? No, you don't. So I think that's what I love about the name, Yanni. Obviously, yeah. it's a contrast and it's yeah. a... Okay. Yeah. I'm a guy who came out of Jeddah. Mafum. And uh, <laughs> that's how I started. I started posting for... How many years ago was that? 2017. Okay. Okay. So what, we're like five now. Yeah. yeah. So I've been working on it for five years. Yeah, yeah. And um, I've, people started following. And to my surprise... People actually were interested in what I had to say and what I had to explain. Well, what's very interesting about what you do, sorry to interrupt you partially, is that you are also educating. Yeah, yes. This is not just posting pretty food pictures or even saying, you know what, guys, I just went to restaurant X, Y, and Z, try it out. You are providing context, historical context, cultural context. 100%. I actively yeah, research so, 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 post before doing it. So, so that inter twined relationship of food and memory, food and heritage, food and culture is very present in your account. Yes, that's, that's the mo thing I'm most passionate about. Are you targeting a particular audience here? Is this for, I am a British expat living in Dubai and I don't know the difference between, difference between a Lebanese and a Syrian dish? Or is this like, anyone should really have a bit more context kind of thing? Uh, it's a combination of things. I, I didn't specif specifically go out targeting a specific audience. But what I found today mm -hmm. is the majority of people who follow my account are pretty serious about food. They want to know the origins of a, of a dish. They'd like to know the ingredients of a dish. They like my photography and editing that I do. And um, more and more, I'm finding people who are following me because they like the variety I put. I'll cover something that's Michelin starred and all the way down to low. a hole in the wall. High and low. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It, it, it's and more, you, and you, you follow them with the same seriousness, which I've noticed. It's, 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 like about, it's about the food, it's about the dish. 
I have a lot of respect for food and people who work in this industry. So I, I, I like to highlight. Yeah, I mean, the, the place everything. I went to was this place, Holland Wall in, in Barsha that you recommended. Yes. A few feet away from my house, I was telling you earlier, and I went there with my two kids minutes after you posted, I think that night. Yeah. And the guy thought I was you, and he was like, oh, there was another bald guy here. And since, since he's come, everybody's been coming. I'm like, I'm not another bald guy. But anyway, that's a different yeah. story. <laughs> a lot of people went. I love that when that happens and when people send me comments and thank yous. And a lot of people ask me questions. I'm, I'm very uh, responsive. I, yeah. answer, I answer everything. When mm -hmm. I do a Q&A, I do it once a month maybe. I like to answer every single question, even if it's a difficult one. And mm. I get some difficult ones. Mm. And is there an end game here? Yani, are yes. you doing this... <laughs> So explain to me, is this purely passion? Is this at some point, and we talked about this earlier, but I mean, a lot of people do this and they do it, they monetize it. Yeah, yes. They have a palate, they have taste, they have, and it takes a lot of effort. To, it to takes a lot this, of effort. Is this where you're going with this? Or is this like, you know what? I have a day job that pays me well. I go see Mr. Guerlain once a year. And now I'm going to do this because I enjoy it. And this is like my, my, my side contribution. Kind of well, uh, uh, as of right now, mm -hmm. it's what you just said. It's my... It's my hobby. It's my hobby. I enjoy doing it. I'm at an age now where I don't go out clubbing and do all of these things. So I spend my time... La, don't say. <laughs> I spend my time researching foods, uh, traveling for food, and, and writing about it. Okay. Now, my end game... One of you should mention that because uh, somebody else asked me that. And I would love to do this full time. Okay. When you look at very successful bloggers or people that are food diva comes to mind yeah. in Dubai, uh, this, it's a, to be able to be on that level and to monetize it, you ha it's a full time job. So, I mean, what I'm doing now takes me about four hours a day of work that I do on my free time. To, to go to the next level, it's a full time job. You have to dedicate. It's a podcast. But what, uh, what, uh, what version would that be? Okay. So I, I'm, I'm not going to ever, ever go into the, okay, the rest, a restaurant pays me. I'm going to go Sorry. eat there and then I'll talk about it. That's not me. It's okay. never, never going to happen. It's never going to happen. Uh, and it's, I think one of the reasons people appreciate my account is they know I never accept uh, money. So it's Paid. unbiased. It's, yeah. Yeah. This, this, the lighthouse yeah. did not pay you to come and say this was fantastic croissant. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, what I would like to do, my, uh, my, my dream, mm. is to do a TV show. Oh, interesting. For Netflix. Wow. To talk about what we spoke about earlier, how food migrates and travels, and how cultures take dishes and cooking techniques and make them their own. That's so interesting. And uh, being from Jeddah, Mecca, I was born 30 minutes away from Mecca. It's, uh, I see, we saw it, I, we see it every day. That's so interesting. You know? We had the founder of Hatafit on the show. Oh, yes. And uh, obviously, you know, this was his dream as well, which yeah. he made happen. Yes. And there's so many interesting Netflix food shows, but nothing about this part of the world. That, that, that's my dream, John. And, and when that day happens, uh, I'm in a position where I can dedicate the time for it and, and to do that. My, my, my business is a family business, so not a, I don't have a nine-to-five uh, thing, you know, I, I, I can easily do it. You mentioned earlier offline kind of a, almost of an OCD type personality. Yes. Do you feel that, so you were able to kind of bring a positive 
element to this because obviously if one thinks of OCD, if I may be frank, we think of it kind of almost as a negative thing. Yes. But it's almost like you've turned it into something positive. I mean, you made it work for you. Absolutely. You have an obsessive personality in some ways. Yes. But you really dive deep because of that into what you do. Exactly. That's great. And and it, it, one a human being who's able to do that is, is very lucky. When, so, when you can find something that's considered a weakness or if, if it's a liability, or liability, you keep working on yourself mm. until your liability becomes your asset. Yeah. And once you find yourself in that place, you're going to succeed. So that's where you feel you are now. Yes. I'll give you an example. There was a young, uh, young, young boy. I read it in, on BBC. He has OCD of cleaning. You know, there's a people yeah, who yeah, keep yeah. cleaning. Okay. So he went and he did a car cleaning business. Imagine. <laughs> so it's, it's genius. Okay, I'm going to recommend this to my sister. But anyway, that's beside the point. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the guy will, you know, he's probably going to be the best car, car cleaning cleaner. and detailing guy in the world. Do you have his number? Pardon? Do you have his number? <laughs> <laughs> I don't. But I read it on BBC. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and this is kind of what I do. I mean, I'm, to, be, to do what I do, you have to, it's not a passion for food. It's, it's one level above. It's yeah. an obsession. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay? No, like but professional it's, it's, chefs... It's interesting that you went with it as opposed to try to fight against it. Like, yeah, I went with I'm, it. I'm, I can be a little bit of a, a... little bit. I don't know how much. Of a perfectionist slightly... But at some point, I mean, I was telling my therapist, I was like, you know, I started a business that goes against all... You know, hits all my weaknesses, right? Like, I'm a bit of a perfectionist. I mean, restaurant business, something goes wrong every day. And, you know, <laughs> <laughs> Why on earth would I? And if I'm triggered like nonstop, that's a tough business, by the way. Yeah, I'm. Thank you. Yes, it yeah, is. Yeah. And I'm like nonstop triggered, and I couldn't tell whether my the way to do it is to elevate another level and try to fix everything, or just be like, "Fuck it," you know what? There's nothing I can do. <laughs> I might as well just enjoy myself. Yeah. And you were like, "Let me go with it." Yeah, let me go with it. I, I, you know, I, uh, I'll obsess. I'll, I'll, I'll make sure I want to get the right picture. I'll, I'll work on the. It takes a lot of time to go through pictures to edit them. To, to write uh, what you're going to write. So. You, and it's, like I said, like a professional chef, people who excel are obsessed by what they do. Like a, a professional cello player, he's obsessed, obsessed with the cello. So. And if you can find what you're obsessed with, or even what you're passionate with, and go with it, it's, you will succeed. There's a saying that says, you know, if you do what you love, you'll never feel that you're working. So. It doesn't feel like you're waking up and going to work. I'm, I'm doing what I love. And, I'm, and I'll be having fun doing it. <laughs> And you mentioned Samantha Wood, a.k.a. Fodiva, as well as Yusuf Adib, founder of Fatafit, both previous guests on our show. We've linked to their episodes in the show notes, so if you haven't heard them already, click on the links. We'll continue our conversation with Hany right after the short break. Welcome back. I'm Hasha Montasser, and you're listening to the Lighthouse Conversations with our guest, Hany Malki, a.k.a. Bedouin Fodi. So you go, you have your bucket list, you go... Yeah, you so check I'll go, out. I'll try it out. If I think it's interesting, I'll post about it and I'll write about it. So sorry it, to drop the for a second. Yeah, so this is interesting. So sometimes you go, you check things out, and you're like, this is not worthwhile. This is not a post. 100%. Or okay. I'm like, nah, it's not so good. Okay. I, I don't but like to, to so be negative. Yeah, so I was going to get to that. So yeah. I noticed that in your post. So yeah. you are praising places. I mean, you're basically putting a, a highlight of places you think we should all go to exactly but you're not doing oh i uh, checked out x restaurant and it's disappointing no so my initial my initial is that fair well you know that's that's my thing my my thing okay initially i used to write under my name on the instagram on the bio section if it's if you see it here it's good mm. that was my motto so um if i see okay. something that's good i'll post about it 
But I'm not gonna. I'm not a restaurant reviewer. Oh, you're not gonna put yeah. This was yeah. I'm not service. gonna say oh, I went to this place. Then, uh, but if I go to a great place, so you so, don't review drinks at all. Yeah, I'm not. I'm. I'm not really. I'm, do you care about drinks? Yeah, in your own meal. So if this was not a review. Do you care about whether you're having a mocktail or a cocktail or a glass of wine or whatever? No. or no, you don't. Okay. I grew up. I grew up with Americans. I went to American school you since since I was six years old. Uh, I went Plus. to American school. It's all about Coke. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Coca-Cola. Oh, come on. At oh, the end wow. of the meal, I have to have a Coke or oh, that. Or today, today, I, today, I, I drink that, that Coke Zero. So you mentioned this in one of your reviews. And yeah. I thought like, the fact that you're owning this is quite big because yeah. I mean, most foodies will not admit to having a Coke at the end of their meal. Yeah. You, you blame it on the Americans. I blame it on my upbringing. Okay. Not, not at home, but it's just, it's just a cultural thing. Coffee? One, one interesting, yeah. Coffee, I love. You care about I coffee. love coffee. What kind of coffee do you drink? Uh, I, I like my, my morning drink is a flat white. Okay. So I recently started to learn more and more about coffee. Okay. I went and I did the barista course. Oh, wow. And I have newfound respect for baristas. It's a very difficult thing. Very, it's very, like, it's yeah. a science. Yeah, for me. With, you have to wait and uh, how much. Uh, 36, grams, 36 grams of coffee bean makes 18 grams of uh, espresso. And, and even the, 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 how it's... You know, the, the, the grinding. Yeah, absolutely. the grinding. So I learned about all of that. of a machine and even the level of temperature is yes. all part yes. of the science. That's how I am. When I'm interested in something, I'll go on like... I was interested in coffee. I took the barista course. Not that I'm, I don't even have a coffee machine at home. But now at least I understand. Yeah, you should definitely get a coffee machine. But the problem is I'll end up drinking three, four, five cups. That's okay. Do okay. you have a grinder at home? No, I don't, I don't have a coffee. I, but I, I live above a very nice coffee shop, so I go downstairs. No, that's not good enough. We have to change all of that. Now, 2022, <laughs> I think on your bucket list should be nice coffee machine. Yeah. And then there's some very nice ones, by the way, that will grind for you. Yes, yes, I know. As well, so it can be all in one. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like I have a Jura machine and it grinds, it does everything, and you'll just get a very nice, yeah, well calib- calibrated coffee. Co- coffee culture is major. It's okay. a huge thing. And by the way, you make one of the finest espressos you, in Dubai. Thank at you. The, at the, the lighthouse. You. No, we, we thank you for saying that. We, we do pride ourselves in our coffee. And See, th- this is something that restaurateurs should, should concentrate on. Me, for me. People are passionate about coffee. Like there, there are people who are passionate about burgers. Or foodies are very passionate about this. And they'll notice. I, I'll notice if, if an espresso doesn't have that wish. We call it the wish. You know, the, the, the thing on the top. I'll notice if it's, if it's not good. Yeah. You know, people notice these things. The details matter. And I think our community, especially at the Lighthouse, they really do care. Because it's mostly a community of people that care about their food. Yes. Um, so we know that all the details matter, and we take it very seriously. You, you asked me earlier about what advice I would give to a restaurateur yes. here, a homegrown brand, or so on and so forth. One of them is think about what will get people to come to your place more than once a week for dinner. You want them to come in. Okay, a good coffee is one. Great, like uh, croissants, things like that. What else? What other advice would you uh, give? Other, the, 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 the most important advice I would I give any restaurant is to communicate with your customers using the most powerful tool in the world, which is Instagram. Social media. Social media. Instagram. It's incredible. Co- communicate with people. Yeah. Uh, reply to them if they have a question. 
I'm laughing as Farah does all of this. He does all that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think it's important. Job. You know, a lot of times before going to a restaurant, people will go to their Instagram, check it out. No, 100%. I go mean, to the stories, see. Farah, I, I, Farah went on sabbatical for a couple of months and, and I was going to kill myself because no one was, I mean, for many reasons. But <laughs> one of them was that exactly that, that sense of community that she's built through our social media channels. Yes. I mean, she knows all of them. They like each other's pictures. I've noticed that he, they, there's a whole community and a foodie community as well was o- overnight literally gone. And I was very sad because that's such a powerful and important tool. It's very and not important. just to make us a place where people come back. It's very important. But because we are also in the community building business. Yani, part of the Lighthouse mission is, is and we talked about this earlier, I was telling you about uh, you know, we build an art collection, we, we, we support young artists, and we commission them to do, we have this podcast, so it's all part of building a community of interested people that are interested in, that are like-minded, and they typically tend to be, like yourself, interested in food, most likely they're interested in coffee, most likely they're interested in arts, most likely they're interested in culture, yani, that's not a, a coincidence, and we want to build up that community and 100%. be part of it. 100%. You know, uh, food, chefs, Chefs are, they're chefs, but they're also artists. Uh, plating is an art. Making a food look good. It's, it's a, they, go, they go together. They go together. What are your blind spots? Um, is it liking pasta too much? Is it, what do you mean by blind spots? By blind spots, I mean, Yanni, clearly in your reviews, because you're reviewing things that you like, there must be some pattern. Patterns of things that you like, where maybe Hashem, as a, as a casual observer, would say, you know what, um, Bedouin food, he seems to always like Masar, I don't know, you know? Yes. Places that do cer- things in a certain way, or he gravitates towards more towards a certain type of dish. Yeah. Have you tried to recognize a pattern of sorts? Well, I, I'm obsessed with burgers and burger culture. Yeah, I noticed that, but in a good way. That, that yeah, does not yeah, seem yeah, to yeah, me. in a good way. Have you had people telling you, you know what, uh, Annie, with all due respect, this is way off? Yani, you know, yes. you, you, yeah, you have. <laughs> Just recently. And, and, and how do you react to that? Uh, I, I, I respect... Uh, but you're like, thank you so much, or you're like, why do you think that? I mean, do you try to engage? No, 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 I'll say thank you so much, and uh, I'll, I'll, uh, respect, respect. I'll respect your opinion. Mm. You don't I, may not, I may not agree with it. You don't want to know why? Not, everybody, not everybody's going to like everything that I like. But, but I want to say, most of the time, I'm, I'm right. <laughs> when it comes to these things, that I mean, like, I, I, I dedicate a like lot me. of time to, to this. I, I really do. If I tell you the speed that's good, it, it's good. Mm-hmm. What makes you think that you know that's good? Because I've been, I've been told not, not good enough. Yani, <laughs> no, I'm going to push back on this because I'm interested. Yani. What makes you think that you're the burger guy or the pizza guy? I'm, I'm not. I'm not. La, 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 don't be humble. I'm actually no, just... no, but, well, because I, I dedicate a lot of time to it. I don't think that's only the case. I mean, let's just be, Yari, call it what it is. You have a palate and you think you have a good palate. Absolutely. So it's not because you're dedicating time. My palate could... has, been, has, has been in development since I was se- seven yeah, years old. But I could dedicate seven hours a day and still have no clue what a good pizza is. That's very possible. Like, that I don't possible. think dedicating the time, it's, a, it's, a, it's, an, it, it's a helpful ingredient, but it's not what makes you good at what you do. I'll, I'll tell you how, how I get away with it. <laughs> mm. is I, never, I try never to say this is the best X in the world. I'll say... You talked about this on your account. Yeah, I'll, I'll say this is the, my favorite pizza in town or one of the best that I've ever had. Yeah. But I, I'll try and avoid to say this is the best one in the world. Because, yeah. because no one knows in reality. There's always a one that's better. 
So I'm, I'm lucky I get to travel. I get to try things. And, you know, I'll, I'll give my opinion. <laughs> Whether people want to agree with it or not, it's their prerogative. We have a few but things. More that... times out of less, people are agreeing. At some point in one of your posts, you were saying, you know, here are the things we need in Dubai. We are still missing a steakhouse. We are still missing uh, Keith McNally. We're still missing Kaza. I was interested in that post, but I was also thinking like, you know, why do we have to plug every you, hole? You challenged me yeah, on it. I, I challenged you <laughs> politely in my question. Yeah, absolutely. I'm challenge you now. Yes. And I was like, do we have to plug every hole? And also when we're plugging the holes, and I'm a huge fan of Baltazar and Keith and, and all the stuff they've done. But do we need to import those things? Do I need another Mahtrami Maria or another LPM or another Zuma versus the main or the lighthouse or, or Orfali? Yani, I want talk me through this and talk me through how you look at that lens of a lighthouse uh, or, a, or a homegrown concept versus an imported concept. Not, not that anything is wrong with imported. I, I always uh, look, at, look for and homegrown support concept. homegrown concepts. And I write about that. So. And I always, at the end of my post, I always write the same exact sentence. I always support local homegrown concepts yeah. and social you. No, I noticed that. I write I that sentence. That. And, and, and I think it's very important. So. That's how a city develops its culinary scene. It's, it's, it's about that. Yeah. Now, when I mention, for example, that we're missing an American steakhouse, it, it, we are missing an American-style steakhouse. We don't you, have you're not saying it has to be imported. You're saying somebody locally could develop it as well. Yeah. So, yeah. But it's just much easier to go and find something like... But do like, we need yet another imported concept? And do we need another... I mean, half of them no longer work. So I'm talking about Dubai now. And now Saudi is going through that trend. We're going to talk about Saudi. Saudi now, yeah, we're talking yeah, about... Saudi's that. Dubai... Uh, 10 years ago, uh, yeah. in that sense. 20 even. <laughs> 20 years. Yeah. Okay, but Sani, do we need to again get... Why can't we have I can tell you. I can tell you why. There are, you know this. Running a restaurant, the operations of it, is a very, very difficult, very difficult and very tricky thing. So sometimes when you bring a, a brand, they bring their system with them. Their knowledge, yeah. Their knowledge, their purchasing. The, the, they've, they've already figured it out made all the mistakes. Uh, I can't think of that many restaurant operating groups here that are, that will, that are able to pull off okay. making okay. a world-class homegrown concept. Now, Bulldozer Group has done it with Gaia. Gaia is an incredible restaurant, and they've opened now in Monte Carlo, and I believe they're going to open in London and somewhere else. But it's, it takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of money and investment to create a homegrown brand. The head chef and Gaia, Orestes, worked for Izo. I mean, Izo is obviously our partner at the Lighthouse. Ah, I did not know that. Yeah, we, worked, ah. well, we started with Izo as our partner. Yes. And uh, Orestes was our head, was our chef here for yeah. a number of years. It's an awesome and a restaurant. Brilliant, brilliant chef. It's, 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 everything about that restaurant is brilliant. Yeah. So, so but that's basically where, where I'm with that. Now, now, there's a reason that in Dubai, there's a lot of these famous brands like the Zumas of the world. And there's a reason for that. That it seems that everything has to be upmarket and expensive and flashy and this and that. The rents here are so expensive in, in an area where you're permitted to sell alcohol, like DIFC or in a hotel. The landlords charge so much money that your business model has to be one of an expensive restaurant. Not necessarily. We, we bridge that gap. We sell alcohol here and we... We have what I think is quality food at a very reasonable price. Very hard to make work. 
It's hard to make it very work. hard but because, so we, we, we because do it. We do here, it. here, the the wine is very expensive. Sah. Now, a, a lot of people don't know that in two or three Michelin star restaurants, restaurants on that level, it's very hard to make money. Restaurants tend to break even or lose on the actual food part, but they make their money from the wines. Sah. Here, it's not possible. No, that's not the case. This has to be addressed if Dubai is to become a culinary destination and to encourage more homegrown brands and so on and chef to leave his uh, job in Berlin and move here to open a restaurant. That it, it, the business model has to work. So why do you think Saudi then is following that model versus going fully homegrown? Why do they not go and say, I'll tell you, Hashem, Hani, Kaza, Kaza, will give each one of you a loan or will give you land or will give you yani, whatever, right? Uh, and start the lighthouse, start Henny Co., start XYZ. I'm not that interested in bringing Zuma and El Aptit Mizan only because that's not my model. Why is that not happening? Okay, so Saudi Arabia is a giant that has awakened, right? Yes, correct. And more than 50% of the population in Saudi Arabia is 30 or under. There's a lot of uh, burger culture, street foods, things like that. So we have an incredible amount of burger concepts. And the interesting part here, so I interrupt you, is the imported burgers did not work as well there. As well as, as the, local yeah, brands. They worked here, but they did not work there because you have the local brand. Absolutely. Same, same with the, the chicken business. And which the chicken. Al-Bek. Al-Bek is an incredible success. But and all of that. Yani, Hina, you've had the five guys work. They did not work in Saudi. No. They did not work. People prefer the local brands. Yes. Do you think that's going to extend to the more upmarket? Eventually, stuff? so 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 the culinary scene is is developing in Saudi. Yeah. Primarily, we uh, the 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 kids you want to call them whatever that we eat uh, pizza, uh, fried chicken from Al Bek, burgers, you know, fast foods in general. Yeah. Of obviously uh, shawarma and all of these things included. So the the level up is starting now. Kharouf places, this place called Lamb Chef, place called Harid in Jeddah. These are now coming up. These are like local homegrown brands that are showcasing Saudi foods in certain cases. And um, going out for a meal is, was, sorry, the only source of entertainment we had in Saudi Arabia. We had nothing else to do. Now it's, it's changed, right? It's working. So going to a nice restaurant like Zuma, it's, it's, a, it's an outing. And we never had it, so there's a hunger for it. The first movers are these big chains. They're going to go, they're packed, you can't even get a table, and uh, they're going to do very well. Once that's going to develop, it's going to start like here, homegrown concepts are going to start. I think it's the second wave. Yes. Would you be interested in starting something in the restaurant? My dream say? is to have a restaurant, but... I, I know too much about the business to not to be in it. You know what I'm saying? Thank to you say? so much. That's very encouraging. <laughs> I'm much better on this side of the table. <laughs> yeah. I yeah. think you may be right. What else in the region are we missing? Uh, if you are a foodie and you go to food destinations in Europe, in the States, in Asia, and you come back here, and admittedly, as you said, we've already, especially in Dubai, very developed. But what are you missing? Uh, I'm not talking necessarily about... I'll, I'll tell you the big elephant in the room. Yeah. It's that we don't have a world-class 
Emirati or as I call it, GCC, pan-GCC restaurant. We didn't even have a contemporary Middle East restaurant till Orfali, really. I mean... Yeah, Orfali, yeah, Orfali is, is a, a pioneer. It's the first kind of contemporary uh, Arab food, if you call it that. Yes. And they were pastry guys. I mean, uh, and and, and uh, Orfali and his brothers took a big chance. This is this is not easy what they're doing. Me and me. by the way, he's he's in there working twelve hour days. Oh, I know. Trust me. So, so so we 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 don't. That's what, yeah. what was missing. Uh, let's say let's say I have a business partner in town from. Now you want to take him to Paris, GCC, and yeah. I want him to try. You need like a contemporary Saudi kitchen type of thing. Yeah, but a nice one. This is our food. I'm willing to go to a hole in the world. But, okay, but I want a nice place to take them. Exactly. So that's something we're missing here. We're missing... What else? I, I made a list the other day. Uh, I said American-style steakhouse. I'm, I'm as, as I mentioned to you, very American in my mind. Yeah. Because I'm American-educated. I lived in New York. I lived in Florida. I'm very I'm sorry about the Florida part. <laughs> I'm very American in my mind. Yeah. So I, for steakhouse, I like American style steakhouse. Yeah. We don't have that baked potato. The Mortons of the world. Yeah, the Mortons so. of the world with the sides, creamed spinach. Cream. Now, do we want Balthazar or we want Keith? We want Keith McNally. I mean, do we want this person? Keith McNally is a genius. Unbelievable. He's a genius. I mean, I'm obsessed with his Instagram account. Yeah. By, by the way, thanks to you, I started following <laughs> him. And it's just so entertaining. It's awesome. I mean, he literally wakes up in a bad mood, which I love, looking to start a fight. Yeah, it's fantastic. It's incredible. So that's something that's missing here. Yeah. Uh, we need Where are you going to go? Have a steak frite? We need a Or pastis. pepper steak? Yeah. Or, you know, so, a great omelet for breakfast? Eh, something like that. But again, it can't be exorbitantly expensive. And you got to be able to serve wine with it. So. So 100%. Th these are the kind of constraints we have here in, in, in this part of the world. And this is something Saudi Arabia is going to have to address. Uh, uh, yeah, they need to bridge that gap. They need to bridge that gap. Are there other Arab cities on your horizon to explore in terms of a culinary destination? Sure. I would have. My dream is the Damascus. Okay. But uh, we can't go there. Yeah. So. Uh, Not today. Unfortunately. But I have, don't forget, I had Damascus in my home. <laughs> yeah. Growing up, and my, so, a lot of my cousins uh, are, are from Damascus. And, uh, so uh, Beirut is, is major. But again, you can't go there. You can't, I can't recommend for people to go there. It's not a safe place to go. But I've been, and I've had some wonderful meals there. I recently went to Jordan. It was okay. Mm. Uh, it was all right. I had myself at a friend, my friend's house. Mm. Um, in general, though. Cairo. Cairo, I've been once for two days for it's a wedding. It's changed a lot. In That's, my whole life, I've only oh been my once. God, yeah. No, Cairo has changed a lot. Yeah, yeah. In the last few years, food all of a sudden is a... I mean, if you go now, you'll be surprised, positively surprised. I, I heard that Lebanese food executives, professionals, and chefs many, are moving many, to, many. to Egypt. Yes, it's true. Reef right? just opened in Cairo. Reef Koshiaki opened in Cairo. Yeah. I mean, you're starting to see a very interesting scene there. So uh, Egypt, I, I don't know, and I, I'll definitely okay. need to go there. But... It's not really in the Arab world, but it's in the, it's uh, Turkey. Turkey is the ultimate food destination for, especially for street foods. Which brings me to the subject we discussed earlier about what makes a city a food destination. Yes, I've thought about it a lot. What what defines a foodie destination or a city that people travel to for food? There are two criteria for this. One is a city that specializes in its own cuisine or a country. Let's say. For example, Turkey. You're gonna people go to Turkey, and a lot of people go to Turkey for the food. But you're going there to have Turkish food. You're not gonna go there and go eat at Zuma, even though apparently they have a good Zuma there. 
you're going to go there to have the donor guy. Uh, Turkish cuisine is so rich and so diverse. So that's one criteria of a foodie destination. Another one is a city that has a lot of good different cuisines. Example of that is New York. New York City, you can have some of the best Italian, French, Chinese, so on and so forth. Dubai falls under the second. It's a melting pot city, just like Jeddah is. But here, in a 10 minutes taxi ride, you can go from having different North Indian to South Indian to Pakistani to Iranian to Jordanian to... You, you get my point. So, I totally so Dubai is, is a, can be a culinary destination because of that reason. Tokyo, a lot of people go for the Japanese food, but I've had the best pizza I've ever had in my life there. Some of the best pasta I've ever had. They have a burger culture there. They have uh, killer Chinese food. Oh, sorry, the American just came out. Very good Chinese it's, food. It's come out before, don't worry. <laughs> uh, is it? Right. This is more the Florida part. Okay. okay. So they have, you know, th that's what makes culinary destinations, in my, in my opinion. Beirut is another one that, that has very good European foods also. Ah. And they have a burger culture too. Ah. And they have amazing shawarma. It's sad though, I want to tell, say something about Beirut. I recently saw a post. The most famous falafel family in Beirut is called Sahyun. And they're two brothers that don't talk to each other. And they have shops, hole-in-the-wall shops, right next door to each other. They don't talk to each other. And uh, people travel from all over the world yeah, for this. this. You know the Sahiba. Yeah, and they actually made it to the front page of the New York Times. Recently, someone posted a photo. One of them closed. Closed down. Oh. Because they don't have enough business. They don't have power. They're running without electricity. This is very sad. This is a cultural gem. Turath in Arabic. It's something that's priceless to have this kind of things. And these, these are things that need to be nurtured. They need to be uh, supported. They need to, people need to support these businesses to help them out. Now, Lebanon, okay, there's a lot of factors why this is happening. Whatever, but there are places here that are like that. Oh. You know, so incredible Afghani baker. Yeah. There is, there, you know, these little things. And this is what people are willing to travel for. Yeah, and I, I want to, if you don't mind me asking for a request, I'd like you to see you focus more on those aspects as well. I think the part of the cultural heritage, the context by which you put these restaurants and certain dishes is really, really key. It's very unique. Yeah. Very few people do it, certainly in our part of the world. Yeah. I think you do it incredibly well. Thank and you. I would love to see more of it because honestly, I've learned a lot about things that I thought I knew a lot about from you. And I mean, a simple example, I said earlier, when we went to the Sejur place, yeah. I read your post verbatim to my children. Yeah. And I felt they learned something about their heritage. Sure. Let me tell you a funny, uh, not a funny, very no, interesting. Please do more of it. Very, very interesting, uh, something that happened to me. I, I, I also lived in Indonesia for many years. And when I arrived in Indonesia, I started noticing one, one of the most popular street foods there. It's called the martabag. Martabag. It's basically folded over uh, dough and that has fillings. It can be sweet or it can be salty. Can be meat, cheese. So I'm like, this looks really familiar. I mean, because one of our most famous street foods is called mutabbag. Mutabbag is for mutabbag. me a Saudi food. Mm. But here it is, it's the most popular street food in Indonesia. So I'm like, that's how my, the idea came to me of talking about dishes that travel with pilgrims or with 
uh, traders back and forth. So I'm like, okay. And mutate during that period. Yes. So, 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 then I, so then I asked myself, I'm like, okay, so is it Indonesian that came to Saudi or is it Saudi that went to Indonesia? I did some research. I found that it's a Yemeni that came to Saudi and that went to Indonesia and Malaysia. There's a big Yemeni community in Singapore and Indonesia and in Malaysia. And that's how it got there. We, we in Egypt have a lot of that, but mostly coming from Turkey. So the Sharkaseya type dishes, all of that was Turkish, Ottoman inspired, and very much made it into Egyptian day-to-day -day food. But it seems to me now that you've told me that Egyptians are invented hummus, <laughs> the most likely most of this came What have I done? Frankly, and I, I just want to be very clear that. And let's just yeah, you call the space. Please do your research. But it seems to me that what you're going to find out is it mostly comes from Egypt. That's, that's my passion, <laughs> is doing such research. Yeah, fantastic. And finding, finding it. And like I wrote to you, I think, and like you can learn a lot about history yeah. and tradition and culture from the foods and how they travel. Mayor and mayor. The use of spices and sometimes the not using a certain spice. Uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of very interesting there's a story there to be told no, especially in our part of the world Hani it's been a pleasure thank you please keep doing what you're doing thank uh, you we much. love uh, following you and following your account we look forward to you fulfilling the many dreams we talked about thank you very much uh, I'm honored that you uh, invited <laughs> me you. here and uh, to be sitting in this chair thank, thank you, so you much. very much thank you thank you for joining us on the Lighthouse Conversations with me Hashem Montasir we're produced by Chirag Desai and our content director is Farah Sharif. If you've enjoyed this episode, please follow us on your favorite podcast player so you don't miss any upcoming episodes. Also, check out our previous episodes, including our conversation with Chris Khalifa, founder of Egyptian street food brand Zuba. Please find us on Instagram at thelighthouse underscore AE or send us an email at connect at thelighthouse.ae. And please share a link with your friends if you've enjoyed this episode. We'll see you again in two weeks.